launching a new series called Becoming a People of Prayer. And we introduced this last week. We're going to look at the verses that just precede the Lord's teaching on prayer in verses 5 and 6 this week. You know, there was a, a young man once who asked God how long a million years was to him. God replied, a million years to me is just like a single second to you. The young man asked God what a million dollars was to him. And God replied, a million dollars to me is just like a single penny to you. Then the young man got his courage up and asked God, could I just have one of your pennies? And God smiled and replied, certainly, just a second. Is this really prayer? Is that really what prayer is, asking God for our own pleasures? How do we become a people of prayer? How do we become a people of intimate communion with our Heavenly Father? I seriously want to know. I want our congregation, our church, our community of faith to become a people of prayer. So before we look at Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6, Let's gird our minds with right understanding. Because, friends, listen, it's the tendency in reading the passage before us to look at what Christ says about these people and condemn them without realizing, without recognizing, friends, listen, that the same tendencies in his audience are present in our own hearts. Sin we see here, is something that affects all of us and goes with us all the way, listen, even into the very presence of God. That's alarming. The sins of pride and self are devastating because they are like the man who's heading into a multi-million dollar sales meeting without realizing that he's got cream cheese still in his mustache. You see, sin does that. It's self-deceiving. And the sin of pride enables us, unfortunately, but realistically, to come into his presence totally unaware that we're bringing a detestable sacrifice of prayer to him. Friends, we all do this from time to time. There are no exceptions. Jesus is teaching us in this passage that our hearts crave glory. Our hearts crave glory. And that's evident even in the most intimate of times with God, even in our prayer life. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite commentators and and pastors, wrote this about prayer and our great capacity of sinfulness. Here's what he says. He says, the highest picture that you can ever ever have a man is to look at him on his knees waiting upon God. Man is never greater than when he is there in communion and contact with God. Now listen, even he says at that point, sin is with us and assailing us. So friends, the questions we must ask ourselves as we study this passage, there's two of them. Here's what they are. I want you to ask yourself these questions throughout this sermon. Are we aware of the insatiable desire to worship ourselves even 
when we're in communion with God? Are we even aware of this tendency that we all struggle with? And does this, number two, awareness drive us even deeper to cling to the ocean of grace that's available for us and that we so continually and desperately need? That being said, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. How do we not pray? That's the theme of this message. Number one, we should not fix attention on ourselves. We should not fix attention on ourselves. Now, friends, listen, I want you to know this. The Jews had an incredibly high priority for prayer. Great is prayer, said the rabbis, greater than all good works. But even despite this high priority in prayer, over time, rabbinical tradition distorted and robbed prayer of its intimacy and power. How did it do that? I'm going to give you five ways that prayer had become distorted among the Jewish people. Number one, prayer had become ritualized. Prayer had become ritualized. You see, praying to God had become institutional prayers, where once they prayed, now they created prayers. And these prayers were memorized. These prayers were read. One could say prayers without even thinking. Every Jew, you need to know this, This is the audience of Christ when he is preaching and teaching this passage. Jews were his audience. Every Jew had to recite the Shema. We read it, by the way, this morning when we dedicated those babies, those children. And they had to read the Shema every morning and every evening before 9 a.m. in the morning and 9 a.m. in the evening. The essence of the Shema was this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, that's the first thing that every Jew had to do. The second thing that every Jew repeated daily was a collection of 18 prayers called the Shimone Ezra. And the the Shimone Ezra was and still is an essential part of Jewish worship in their synagogue service. But rabbinical law demanded that the Shimone Ezra be recited three times a day, 9 a.m., 12 noon and 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And if time didn't allow for all 18 prayers to be recited, then they created a summary prayer that could be recited in its stead. You see, the devout Jews, friends, said these prayers with devotion. But many would mumble through them as fast as they could. For many, these prayers had become just superstitious incantations not unlike many of our prayers before we eat. I mean, do you really pause and pray and intimately commune with your Father in heaven before you eat? See, prayer had become ritualized. Number two, prayer had become rote. They had prayers for light. They had a prayer for rain. If it became dark, they had a prayer for darkness. Before they traveled, they had prayers for traveling. They had prayers for good news. Bad news, before and after each meal, or or even after seeing a comet blaze across the night sky, they had a ritualized, memorized, wrote, said prayer. 
The intention was honorable at first. You see, what they wanted to do was they wanted to bring all of life into the presence of God. So they created a prayer for every occurrence of life. But formalism settled in so that these prayers were just little more than afterthoughts that just slipped off the tongue without intention, without thinking. But third, prayer's effectiveness had become relative to its length. Despite many rabbi warnings to their people about long babbling prayers, the tendency was the thinking that the longer the prayer, the more powerful the prayer. One rabbi, Levi, said, whoever is long in prayer is heard. It was believed by some that if you talked long enough at God's door, he would open. There's a fourth distortion that was occurring at the time of Christ that he is aware of and dealing with and teaching through. It's that prayer had become repetitious. One famous Jewish prayer goes like this. Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, extolled, and honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. You see, what they did was that they were attaching as, and piling up every possible title and adjective in their addresses to God thinking that this was the way God wanted to be spoken to. Now, I'm going to give you one more, but let me pause. Why am I telling you this? Some of you, this might be interesting. To me, it absolutely fills and colors the text. But some of you, eh, this is kind of a boring part. Why am I telling you this? I'm giving you this background for two reasons. Number one, that we would understand first how important prayer was to the Jew. It was the highest priority. But secondly, we would see how far prayer had moved away from the intimacy, the power, the beauty that Christ is about to demonstrate. What's the fifth way that prayer had become distorted? Number five, prayer had become a way to reap praise. It had become a way to reap praise. You see, Jews traditionally, here's how they prayed. You ready? They prayed standing up. Rarely. What did you pray lying down? We see David doing that in the Psalms, but he was overcome with sin and guilt. Rarely did they pray sitting down. They prayed standing up, hands out, palms upward, and heads bowed. And prayers had to be said at specific times. Wherever they might be, when it was a time for the Shimone Ezra, you stopped and you prayed. And it was easy, friends, to be able to situate yourself, to be able to time your walk, to be able to be at a major street corner or busy market square so that when the trumpet sounded and the call to prayer came, you could pause with great notice and loud shouts to the Lord in prayer. You can reap praise. And they were doing this. The rabbis condemned this. They said, a man in whom his hypocrisy brings wrath upon the world and his prayer is not heard. But friends, listen, the Jewish rabbinical system of prayer led many prideful people to a showy prayer life. So we come back to the words of God in verse 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote that the prayer preceding all prayers is this. May it be the real I who speaks, and may it be the real thou I speak to. 
But look at the word hypocrite. It's in verse 5. It's all through the context of chapter 6. A hypocrite was this. You ready? It was originally a stage actor. And it was a stage actor who used large masks to portray multiple roles that they were playing. In order to change a character, the stage actor simply took one mask off and picked another mask up and put it on his face. That's how one actor could play multiple characters in a play. See, what Jesus is not doing here, he's not forbidding, he's not condemning prayer that happens in public. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's condemning the motive of all of us who use prayer to bring attention and honor to ourselves. You see, the the trumpets would sound in the temple which signified it was time for the daily afternoon sacrifice. And with that sacrifice, it was time for everybody to stop and to recite the Shimone Ezra and to pray. And rabbinical law compelled the Jews to face the temple. If you were in Jerusalem, you faced the temple. If you were in the temple, you faced the Holy of Holies. If you were outside of Jerusalem, you turned at those times and faced Jerusalem. And many of them would seize these opportunities to oppress. You, know, you want to know how we know that? Look at the word street in verse 5. In our English translations, the word street occurs in verse 2, but they're two totally different Greek words. In verse 2, the word street signifies a narrow road or an alley. But in verse 5, the word street signifies a wide street, music fest lovers, or a plat, that's the Greek word, Or open square. You see, these hypocrites were moving down these streets in order to be able to time their approach at a wide street or open square when it was time to recite the prayers and they would stand with their hands out, arms out, hands up, head bowed in a loud voice. And they were receiving honor at that moment. Now, friends, let me ask you really easy to talk about Jews in first century. How about us in this century? Have you ever, ever been asked to pray in front of others? And up to the very moment that you pray, you are planning out your prayer. Perhaps a memory of another person who prayed so powerfully drives you, I got to prepare my prayer. Because you can impress and people will come to you later and they will tell you how wonderful your prayer was. We're not immune to this condition. The one who bows his head longer before eating out in public or at another person's home than he does at home before his own meal. What is that all about? You see, this love for praise, this love for attention, it runs deeply In all of our hearts, this is called self-worship. And Jesus says that these people, they love to pray, but what they really loved was the praise of others. Their love of praise was empowering their worship, and their worship was for them. Now, this is the point where I usually begin losing people. Because while it really is interesting to get the Jewish background, it's not so captivating when I begin talking about our hearts. 
can I tell you, and you listen, and maybe even possibly put a grain of trust in what I'm telling you? Every one of us, me included, we all want our own glory. And we have figured out, like John Calvin, who says that our hearts are idol factories, we figured out how to get it. We figured out how to worship us. And this worship of ourselves can creep its way into the most intimate time we'll ever have on our knees in front of our God. You see, the hypocrite is obsessed with his image and his perception of others and his reputation as a godly person. In short, he's in love with his own self. Now, I remember one time when I was praying in a group and I could feel that my words were powerfully registering. People were saying amen and people were saying yes, Lord, and they began to say it more and more and it provoked in me a desire to even pray more forcefully, more passionately, more eloquently, because all the while I'm getting more amens, and all the while there's more yes, lords, and at that point, friends, I'm worshiping me. There's no difference between Matthew 6, 5 and Tim Ackley. Friends, love for self, worship of self, it corrupts. Prayer, praying in such a way that will garner us respect and admiration is obviously terrible. But less obvious is this. The worship of ourself that surfaces when we pray for our will, when we pray for our way, we pray out of our selfish motives. We can all do this as we become the great manipulator of God. How many of you have felt that your day went badly because you didn't have your prayer time and your time in the word? There's a bit of a manipulative superstition in that. God blesses because of Christ. And it ought to drive us into his word. It ought to drive us into the depths of prayer. But when we begin to think that if I have my quiet time and I spend my 30 minutes of prayer, God owes me a good and blessed and favorable day, that is Matthew 6, 5. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. They may manage to receive the praise. They may get adulation. They may get people to honor them. But Jesus says, friends, listen, that's all they're going to get. They're not going to receive God's honor and blessings. They're not going to experience God's pleasure. Prayer is the fixing of attention on God. Hypocrisy is the fixing of attention on ourselves. I love Jesus. I love the way he teaches. Because if you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, you know that Jesus is really almost taking a coin with heads and tails. And he says this, you have heard it said, and then he flips the coin over and says, but I say to you, and he's doing it here as well. He's been teaching on contrast, and almost as if he is holding a coin, he's going to now flip it over, and we're going to see the other side of it. The other side is this. We should fix, number two, our attention, our total attention on God. Look at verse six. But when you pray, go into your room. You see that word, but? That's always a contrast word. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Friends, I love this story. That takes place in Africa. It's in a 
It's in a region of Africa where the first converts to Christianity were very diligent about praying. In fact, the believers each had their own special place. This is a true story. They had their own special place outside their village where they went to pray in solitude. And the villagers reached these prayer rooms by using their own private footpaths through the brush. And when grass began to grow over one of these trails, it was evident that the person to whom it belonged was not praying very much because these new Christians cared and were concerned about one another's spiritual welfare. There's a unique custom that sprang up, and here it is. Whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would go to the person and lovingly warn, friend, there's grass on your path. Psalm 27 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. RVG Tasker has pointed out that the Greek word room, here's what it says, but when you pray, go into your room. He pointed out that that word room in the Greek was often a storeroom, listen, where treasures were kept. If you had valuable items, there was a room in your home where it was lockable, where it was prone or able to be in solitude, where you could hide it and keep it safe. That was the room that Jesus has in mind. Why? Why does Jesus encourage us to go into our room and shut the door to pray? Let me give you two reasons. First of all, and this is not one of them. But the overarching importance when we pray, friends, is that we must realize we are approaching God. You know that, right? When you pray, the Bible says, Ecclesiastes, do not go hastily into the temple of God. For God is above us. We are below him. We are approaching God. So there's two things that I think we need to be doing. Number one, in order to do what Jesus says, get into this room and shut the door, we've got to exclude certain things. Friends, you can't bring everything into the room. It says, pray to your father, not to an audience, not to the praise of others, not to our own glory. It's easy to leave the dog out of the room. It's easy to schedule your appointments around prayer, but it's not so easy to bring this love of my own self into prayer. But we've got to exclude certain things. The point is that hypocrites put their prayer mask on in public. And we're winning the applause of those around them while forfeiting it from the only one who really mattered. Christ doesn't prescribe certain times or occasions for prayer. He is just simple and clear. Do what you can to get your attention away from yourself and put it onto God alone, excluding certain things. But secondly, how do we do this? Why does Jesus tell us to go into our room? It's because we must close off distractions. Friends, listen, when you go on a date with your spouse, parents, young parents, do you want your children there? I love my kids. (laughs) Amen. That's an amen moment. I love my children. They're absolutely precious to me. 
But when it's time for Denise and I to reconnect, which it often is because we get busy, when it's time to reconnect, I don't want my kids with me. Do you want to bring your friends with you, young men, young ladies, when you're about to be engaged? See, there's a solitary intimacy that's appropriate for just the two of us, Denise and me. God desires his friends the same way. He wants our attention. He wants our admiration. He wants our focus. And he wants to commune with us. You know, I'm absolutely fascinated. And I think it's unbelievably applicable what water spiders do to our prayer, uh, compared to our prayer life. Here's what they do. Certain species of water spiders that live in ponds and lakes They will go underneath the water and they'll find a reed and they will attach their webbing there and they'll spin an underwater bell-shaped cocoon. And then they'll go back above the surface and get air bubbles trapped on their hairy legs and then they'll dive back below and climb up into that bell tower where they brush off these air bubbles until it fills the cocoon with air and they'll live the majority of their air-breathing lives underwater. You get on the internet, I've checked out this story just to make sure it's true. It's fascinating. It's similar to what we do in prayer. You see, prayer gives us the spiritual oxygen that our redeemed lungs need in order to breathe in this world and do the work of God's kingdom. Friends, if you're in Christ, you have redeemed lungs that the air of this world will no longer satisfy Too many Christians are breathing only the oxygen of this world and wondering why their emaciated souls are gasping like a fish out of water. You know, it's said of Susanna Wesley, who had 19 children. Sick family. (laughs) Now, God honored them. When she would pray in the afternoon and with nowhere else to go, she would pull her apron up over her head while she sat in the kitchen and the children knew it was time to be silent and not interrupt. Jesus often withdrew from his disciples to pray. We must do, friends, whatever is necessary to get our attention on God and nothing else. The most intimate moments between a husband and wife are in secret, private times with just the two of them sharing them. Prayer is the most intimate moment that a believer can have with God on this earth, Jesus says. Ask your father who sees in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. God searches. Friends, no, God searches our hearts. He knows our minds. He sees the secret motives. He sees the desires that are there. He greatly delights in and rewards prayer that is fixed on him. And without the, without the worship of self, without ulterior motives for personal glory, his full attention, God's full attention and intention are given to his praying children. And he rewards. He rewards those who find their way to their room to pray. And while Jesus doesn't list what those rewards are, The rest of scripture does. Let me give you four of them. Number one, a reward for praying believers. The Holy Spirit witnesses 
with our spirit that we are God's children. Friends, do you wonder, do you doubt God's fatherness to you? Do you doubt your assurance of your salvation? Then pray. Because he will reward you with that assurance. Number two, a strong assurance of his fatherhood and love. Do you wonder if God really is good? You know he's sovereign, but do you know if he's good? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that you're precious to him and that all of what he does is for your highest good? If you don't know that, then pray. Prayer brings this reward. Prayer lifts the light of God's face. Friends, listen, in Scripture, every time that it talks about the light of God's face, it means his favor. It lifts the light of God's face and his favor shines upon us and gives us peace. You want to know where peace comes from? It comes from experiencing and knowing you're in the favor of God. What about the fourth one? He refreshes our souls. You go into your prayer closet, you must come out changed. You must come out satisfied. Your hunger and your thirst quenched. We've learned a lot this morning. We learned that we should take great care when praying to God and not fix our attention on ourselves with our own motives, for our own pleasures, for our own glory, and instead that our whole attention should be fixed on God. How do we do that? We exclude ourselves in our prayer rooms, and we don't allow distractions in. But I have to ask you a question as we close. And would you please answer this to yourself honestly? Friends, honestly, is there grass on your path? Is there grass on your path? Have you forgotten to regularly and deeply go to your spiritual treasure room to commune with your God? If that's you, then begin not tomorrow. Don't begin next week. Do what somebody told me after the first service or going home to find their prayer closet again and pray. Today, because God desires an intimate, close relationship with us. And friends, listen, prayer is that language. It's the language of those who live in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's so clear. It's so simple. It recalibrates us. Lord, many of us, I'm sure, have had grass overgrowing our walk to our prayer room. Lord, we need a friend, and maybe I function in this role this morning, but I pray, Lord, that somebody would come alongside those of us who are struggling and remind us that they could see the grass in the path. And Lord, motivate us, move us to pray deeply, excluding ourselves from those things that distract, fixing our attention on you, not wanting any glory for ourselves. But Lord, to learn to love and to communicate, to receive the assurance that you're our Father, we're your children, you love us, your face is shining on us. We have peace. May we become a people of prayer.
Lord, help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning? And as you stand this morning, I'm going to ask Doug Rank, one of our uh, deacons, he's our treasurer, if you would close us in prayer and ask God to bless our people.